Hello, this is Steve from Retroman Blog, and welcome to our latest edition of this uh, little special series that I've put together called Lockdown Lowdown. Uh, I'd like to welcome Lee Hegarty, guitarist with Ruts DC. Hello, Lee. Hello, Steve, and hello, everybody. Wow, great. Thanks for joining us today. So let's start at the very beginning. So what was your earliest musical memory as a kid? When was the first time you can remember being aware of this music? This music thing? Yeah. Uh, that's right. Well, um... Well, I'm. Um, I was born in 1961. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my first memory, uh, as I guess they were pretty much omnipresent, but my first memory uh, is are uh, the Beatles. Yeah. Um, as a as a youngster, I remember that I, I just remember the word being everywhere, and um, also my family are from Merseyside, or all, all from Merseyside, so. Um, they were kind of omnipresent up there anyway. And um, yes, I remember seeing them on the television. And, and my mum always said to me that I, I, when I was very small, I asked why he was pointing the other way. I'm mm. pointing at McCartney's bass. So even then I was kind of, it sounds a bit pretentious, but maybe even then I like guitars. I don't know. But I was very kind of, I found them quite fascinating, sort of photos of them. You were picking up on details like that, that he was playing bass left-handed even then? Worrying, isn't it? So was it was it a, a song on the radio, or did you see them on TV, or everything really? I mean, we I think I remember seeing the the, the black and white television with them jiggling their heads and going woo. Uh, you know, <laughs> it always sounds daft talking to people about it now, but it was so exciting. And I mean, I, I can only imagine what it must have been like to have been someone who was kind of teenage and wanting to play music. Seeing that it must have been extraordinary. But as a very small child, I remember being, I mean, as I say, very exciting and very kind of. They're kind of friendly almost. I don't know. They, they, there was something about them that I really liked. And then I, I, I can remember seeing, I guess it must have been Ready, Steady, Go or something like that. Or maybe it was on kids' programmes. I remember seeing bands on kids' programmes. I would have been four or five, I think. 
Well, I don't think it's a, 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 what do they call it, a received memory. I don't think it's something I'm remembering from being 10, but just mm-hmm. remembering those songs. I actually remember it. My mum always said I could, you know, so I was like music. Was, was, there, was there a song, a particular song of yours that, that was a favourite at the time? Is uh, that you remember? Help, Ticket to Ride, those two Beatles songs I remember from when I was small. Yeah. But the, yeah. Ticket to Ride is still a real favourite of mine now, so maybe that's part of it. I think that's that's a, it. this is a great one to, to illustrate that sort of uh, childhood innocence, you know. So, yes, please. Gosh, I, I never, never miss a chance to play Ticket to Ride. I always like to hear that. It's, it's an amazing record, that, that kind of one chord. Yeah, the kind of vocal on one chord I listen to now and think, how did they come up with that? It's just, just right. rock. Well, let's hear it now. This is the Beatles and Ticket to Ride. So do you remember, um, what was the first record you bought with your own money? So not one that you nicked from your parents or that you... The first record I had when, when I was about uh, 11 or 12, I, I would have been about 12, I think, I got um, a milk round, uh, which used to have in them days, uh, yeah. for the benefit of our younger viewers, uh, when milk used to be delivered, um, used to have, I had a milk round uh, on the estate where we lived and I had, therefore had a little bit more money than, than I had had, any yeah, pennies, I suppose. Uh, but the, the record I remember buying was Metal Guru by T-Rex, which remains a kind of, uh, I don't know, a kind of holy grail of music for me, an incredible piece of uh, pop music. Yeah. Uh, and I, bought that. I remember buying it and looking, you know, that thing where you hear people say, but I really do remember looking at the label really closely and reading all the uh, all rights reserved stuff around it and uh, <laughs> playing it incessantly. I've still got it. It still just about plays and T-Rex were a massive... Uh, Massive favourite of mine. Those those sort of early seventy singles that Bowen brought out. There's about seven or eight of them in a row. They're just unstoppable. Did you see him on the TV first, or did did you see him on the top of the pops, or was it on the radio? What what was it? The visuals that grabbed you, or just purely listening to the music? Or? It was everything. Uh, I saw him on top of the pops. By then, I was watching Top of the Pops. Um, I suppose I started watching, looking out for music in the kind of very late sixties, early seventies. I said I do remember seeing the faces or Rod Stewart playing football on top of the pops. Where I would have been about ten then, I think. Yeah, mate, you may, and they're all playing football. And uh, you know, when you the, the, when you when you're playing football with your mates, you want to be uh, Roger Hunt in my case of uh, Liverpool. Uh, the next day, we always wanted to be in the faces instead of being footballers. You know, we also pretended we were on top of the pops playing football as, as, as kids. <laughs> Uh, so I remember seeing T-Rex on, on, on Top of the Pops. Uh, might be Metal Guru, might be 
Graham Sam, I think, I've seen. But it was uh, just extraordinary. You know, he just looked, he looked like he was from another planet, didn't he, Mark Bowler? Those, those two, three-minute songs, not really about anything, kind of gibberish, really, but maybe that appealed to me as a youngster as well. You know, I like the fact that it was, you know, just like a silver-studded saber-toothed dream. That's right. Yeah, a silver-studded saber-toothed dream. Oh, we'll buy one of them today. You know? Yeah, you could probably get one on Amazon, you know. The... Coming to that, yeah, there's probably a website, silverstuddedsabertoothdream.com, that I could get one on. <laughs> yeah, that, so that's, that remains, again, one of my very, very favourite records, uh, Metal Guru by T-Rex. That's okay, just... well, let's, let's hear it. It's a, it's a great, uh, great chance to play this. It's uh, T-Rex and Metal Guru. And did you, um, were you a sort of singles buyer or did you get into albums when you were younger? Or to... well, the glories of singles when you haven't got very much money is you can still buy them in those days. When I used to buy them in, uh, there was a paper shop uh, that sold the sort of ex-jukebox singles. Me and my mates used to go in there and buy those. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was almost like, you know, if you buy that one, I'll buy this one. Then we can both hear it type of thing. It sounds terribly naive now, which of course it is terribly naive, which is okay. <laughs> and by then it was all glam rock, so Slade, uh, Sweet. I liked um, Faces, and uh, that that style of music I thought was was was, was fabulous. So I used to buy those singles quite a lot. Um, again, I've still got some of them, and uh, all got nice memories for me. Those those records. Um, yeah. I did eventually buy the first album I remember buying with my own money was Meaty Beaty Big and Bouncy by The Who. So that, I remember buying that. That was a very early album. Did you have a particular Who track that stood out for you from the album? Because that's a great combination, isn't it? You know. It's a, it's it was all the singles you couldn't get, wasn't it? Yeah. I don't know which I couldn't get at the time. It was all the kind of Brunswick Records stuff. Um, I can see for miles is extraordinary. Still, I think that if that came out now, it would still sound completely crackers. Yeah, uh, in a good way. <laughs> um, but all those singles were great, weren't they? Everything from Can't Explain, Any Any Way, Any How, you know, I'm a Boy, Pictures of Lily. They were, they were just fabulous records. Again, it's that kind of short pop song thing. Yeah. But I can see for miles is the epic, isn't it? It's the kind of you know, kind of completely, completely over the top. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a fantastic song. And also this was chosen by uh, the first um, special guest in our lockdown, lowdown edition, Buddy Ascot from The Chords. He also picked uh, this track and, um, well, there's no reason why we can't play it again. This is The Who I Can See From Us. I know you deceive me, now here's a surprise 
Fantastic! That was the Who, and I can see for miles. And uh, so, was that? I mean, you know, you, you spoke nicely about being a kid and that innocence of first getting into music and, uh, and the great sort of pop singles at the time and the great great music it was about. But was there something that sort of drew you into more of the adult rock and roll side of things? It got you out of the teeny glam rock and the pop into something a little bit more serious. Yes, I, I, um, I was saying earlier with with my family's off from Merseyside, and we used to go to visit them in school holidays. Um, kind of crazy glamorous life that we had none of this uh going to going to butlins for us we used to go to birkenhead which was which was far more appealing from my point of view but nothing wrong with butlin birkenhead's you know good and i had two uh i've got what i've got younger brother and we've got these kind of two two uh older cousins steve and gary who were kind of mythical characters to us they were like five or six years older than us and um so when we were like 12 13 they were like 18 19 so this would be kind of early to mid-70s, so they had like long hair and girlfriends and things like that, so they were like kind of grown-ups. I mean, when you're 12, someone who's 18 is a grown-up, aren't they? You know? And uh, they, 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 with hindsight, I'd, I'd probably put them on quite a pedestal because they managed to offend my dad so much by <laughs> swearing, having long hair. And uh, There's some good stories, but I better not say them on here. But they had a, a, a deafening record player in the back of, uh, in the back of uh, my nan's house there where they lived. They had a deafening record player and some scary-looking uh, long-playing records. And uh, there, there's a record shop that's still in Birkenhead called Skeleton Records. It's a second-hand record shop. Quite an interesting thing for the time. It's still there, as I say. And they used to kind of buy these records. And you, you know, if you didn't like them, you'd take them back on Monday and get a different one. It's a pretty simple life. However, they had stacks of these, let's call them rock albums. And it was the 70s, so it was everybody. I remember uh, they had the first Black Sabbath album, the first couple of Black Sabbath albums. They used to play Deep Purple. Um, 
the kind of yeah, the music you would think, but but certain things did stand out. Um, but that was that's kind of 72, 73. So they used to obviously, uh, uh, I remember uh, Alex Harvey, Faith Feeler, they used to play oh. Alex Harvey. Um, Quadrophenia, I remember them having. That was that was that was very striking that cover. Um, but the one I really remember was Rory Gallagher, um, Irish Tour '74, which kind of dates this perfectly because that came out early '74. So this would have been summer '74. So I would have been like twelve or thirteen. That's probably been thirteen. Um, I remember them start that the way that record starts. You know, ladies and gentlemen, Rory Gallagher, and then this rocket takes off. Rory's guitar comes in, and I remember being transfixed by the sound, standing there looking at the speakers. With, this Gallagher's guitar coming out on Cradle Rock and the slide guitar when it goes wow in the middle and he slides down into the, the solo. I remember that so clearly. In fact, I'm getting really excited talking about it. Um, just incredible. But that record, they they and then they played it at a volume loud enough to be heard in the next world, I might add, which was quite quite uh, neighbour baiting. But again, if you could, if you're 13, that was really exciting. Mm. So that album, I really remember Rory Gallagher. Is there a song from the album that um, stood out for you? Cradle Rock was uh, a favourite, but Tattooed Lady, uh, that's a great song, fantastic solos, uh, uh, you know, just just a brilliant, just a really good song. When I actually eventually learned to play guitar, it was one of the first songs I learned that had bar chords in it. And I'd like to think I could play it, but I was actually stumbling from an A chord to a C sharp minor chord. Only took 10 or 11 seconds to change chords in those days. (laughs) But, um, But that I remember trying to learn, someone showing me. Did you ever see him play? First gig I ever saw was Rory Gallagher. Um, oh, I, I think I, I, there's, there's a chronology thing here which I often get confused with but, but when this would be kind of a little bit later I saw Rory at the Hammersmith Odeon um, and the gig was actually shown on telly it's one of those sight and sounding concert programs uh, which I remember all the cameras there the first so first gig I go to you know you get on telly of course I didn't get on telly I was carrying at the back somewhere <laughs> but he was fabulous I would say he was the best guitarist I ever saw I saw him three times I think and he was just jaw dropping he played with such power and, and such enthusiasm and he just seemed to be so into it you know it was a very early influence and um, I still like his music now you know so. that's good especially as it sort of ties in with your sort of first gig as well so let's uh, let's play Tattoo Lady from the Irish Tour 74 Live album oh good choice So we just mentioned you seeing Rory Gallagher live, and uh, over the years, what's been a, say, a memorable gig that's really stood out for you? You know, I know it's uh, 
it's always hard, isn't it? Because you, you, there's loads of ones that you think, oh, that's fantastic. You come out thinking, I've never seen anything better than that. Well, of course yeah. you do. Until the next but, one. <laughs> The, the confusion with the first gig I ever saw is that it was, it was either that or Eddie and the Hot Rods. And I think, looking at it now, now we can check these things on the internet, it was Rory, but I was never sure which one it was. I saw Eddie and the Hot Rods at Brunel University around the same time, just as uh, Do Anything You Want to Do was coming out. And that, that was, uh, again, was a kind of extraordinary moment. They might as well have had a big sign above the stage saying, you could do this, look. It was so brilliant. I mean, just in yeah. a fairly small venue. Barry running around, guitars loud as hell, you know, just fantastic. I've always got a soft spot for the hot rods anyway, but they, for that reason, that, that one sticks in my mind as a, as a very young young lad. But but if going forward about five, five years, um, I was working in a factory when I left school and in a bit of a bad way. It wasn't the job for me. I shouldn't have done it, but I ended up working in this factory for reasons I won't bore you with. And a friend of mine at the time said they had a spare ticket to see Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. Now, I liked Bruce Springsteen. I liked Dunks on the Edge of Town. That was a really good album. Obviously, I'd heard Born to Run. The River had just come out. Yeah. And I thought, ah, Bruce Springsteen, all right. Yeah, you know, it's like Tuesday night. You know, I'll go, go along with uh, my, my friend to see Bruce Springsteen. It absolutely destroyed everything. It was like, um, it was, I was 19 going on 20 and it was like you had never been out of your front door before. It just, it was three and a half hours. It was extraordinary. Nothing prepared me for it. I'd seen the clash, you know, I'd seen all these people. I thought, yes, I, you know, I'd seen great groups. This was unreal and it's still quite hard to talk about. It took me years to get over it. In fact, I'm not sure I'll ever get over it. Um, he came out starting with Born to Run and I thought well now what now what do you do well quite a lot as it happens <laughs> about three hours later he's you know he's, he's bellowing I'm just getting going and, and they are you know it was just it's there were people crying and there were people kind of you know just I was probably one of them and I'm actually getting quite quite hot and bothered thinking about it now um, it was it was time to not work at a factory. It was time to, to get that guitar out from under the bed, kind of thing, you know, which I hadn't been taking particularly seriously until that point. But clearly, a plan had to be made because it, it was it was that important. I mean, it's only you know you can you can ridicule it and say it's only a poxy pop group playing a few songs, you know, with a bloke shouting at the front. Well, yeah, if you don't if you just want to look at it like that, it is. But that's to misunderstand the power of music or indeed the power of art generally. So was there a particular Springsteen track? I know it's difficult with his back catalogue, but it's something that, uh, yeah. that you like. Um, <laughs> there's a few of them. Uh, I mentioned Darts on the Edge of Town. That's one of my favourite albums. Yeah, I very rarely play it, and I think maybe because it's associated with that, well, the title's fairly significant for me. It was a time when I was in a bit of a state, and that record is very odd to hear. It's very claustrophobic. It's very kind of introspective unlike you know much of his more tub thumping stuff that he does uh, candy's room candy's room on that album yeah. well let's let's hear it this uh, bruce springsteen and the east street band from the darkness on the edge of town album and this is candy's room there's a sadness hidden in that pretty face a sadness all her own from which no man can keep candy safe we kiss my heart was just in my brain And my blood rushes in my veins My fire rushes through the sky And I go driving Driving deep into the night I go driving deep into the light And Candy's eyes She says, baby, if you want 
so you were, you were telling us about the impact of um, seeing Bruce Springsteen and um, did he inspire you to sort of pick up a guitar? Who was a, what was, was there someone or a, a track or something that inspired you to actually form a band, you know, start writing songs, pick up an instrument? Was there a particular moment that sparked you off on that journey? Um, there's a couple that stick, stick in my mind. Um, let's pop back to Birkenhead for, for a little, for a couple of minutes. The, the two cousins, Steve and Gary, Gary, had a guitar and uh, he, could, he could play a few sort of bits and pieces. And I remember him holding my fingers down on, on, you know, on these incredibly nasty things, these very abrasive strings, you know, and saying, this is a chord, you know, have a go, you know. And I, and I remember saying, yeah, to my mum, you know, can I have a guitar, can I have a guitar? And eventually, I think I got one when I was about 14. And um, one of the sort of nylon strung classical guitars that we all get to start off with. And I got it for Christmas and discovered to my utter horror that you didn't just pick it up and play it, that you actually had to learn some form of skill or some form of practice is the word they use. So by New Year's Day, I was there, that was under the bed and that wasn't coming back out again. And I thought, I kind of floundered a little bit, couldn't couldn't really get going. And I, so I liked music, I was starting to like, let's call it rock music, um, but I still liked, as I say, bowling and things like that. And I came in from school one day, it sounds mad, but I came in from school one day and there was a programme on called The Geordie Scene, which I used to watch, it was like a sort of pop, kids pop programme. And um, inexplicably, and I still, for years, I thought I'd made this up. Inexplicably, the, the group featured that week were, were playing live in the studio with Dr. Feelgood. <laughs> yes, Dr. Feelgood. That Dr. Feelgood, you know, Lee Brillo, Wilco Johnson, Sparko and the big figure, the classic Feelgoods lineup. And I remember the DJ introduced them, and I'm sitting on set thinking, oh, well, Dr. Feelgood, I sort of just about heard him a bit. Well... You know what happens next, don't you? The the the, the front room is, is 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 just it doesn't exist suddenly. There's she does it right coming out of the telly. Wilco's shooting people with a guitar. Lee looks like he's in the Sweeney, which we all liked at that point. You know, just fantastic. I remember calling my mum in from the uh, from the kitchen. Mum, look, look at this. And she's like, "Yeah, that's nice." Well, it was. It was very nice. You know, I remember absolutely so excited by it. You know, I didn't know what rhythm and blues was in any of that really. I went to school the next day. I said, lads, now to my, to my mates, you know, you see, I see, I got to that group last night. You know, and I remember one of them went, yeah, they were terrible, weren't they? <laughs> no, they're brilliant. They're fantastic. And I remember them sort of squaring up to me. They were crap. You should be listening to, you know, I don't know, yes, or whatever it was they decided they were going to listen to. It sounds a cliche, but it was like that, you know. And then a couple of days later, I heard them on the radio. I heard Roxette. Uh, I didn't immediately go and find the guitar, but that led to me getting, you know, down by the jetty and yeah. finding the other person in school that liked that music. <laughs> and uh, so that definitely sparked me off when I was about 14, I had this yeah. guitar. And okay, well, let's, so, let's, let's hear it. Let's hear, this is the live version of Roxette from the Stupidity album, which made number one, didn't it? It was uh, one of the very rare live albums to get to number one. And one of my favourite, one of the best records ever, I think, yeah. Stupidity. Well, let's hear it. Let's hear Roxette from Stupidity. This is Dr. Feelgood.
So would you say you know, Wilco Johnson was obviously a big influence on your guitar style? Because it's very, it's, it's very different, isn't it? He's very much a rhythm-based guitar player. So if you, if you were brought up on Rory Gallagher and um, Bruce, Print, you know, Pete Townsend, it's quite different to that, isn't it? His style. But um, would you say he was an influence on your guitar playing? Definitely, definitely. I mean, coming back to the Fieldgoods, I mean, the other thing to mention with the Fieldgoods, we were all wearing school uniform and they kind of wore blazers and trousers so they kind of looked the, we sort of decided we looked a bit like them you know things like this so it's quite exciting as well so i liked wilco um i started to play the same as everyone does as i say a few chords and maybe a friend I remember, remember somebody showed me a couple of bits say my cousin showed me some chords and then i, I kind of floundered i couldn't couldn't get going because i couldn't play like wilco or townsend or whoever so I couldn't find a kind of a, a way of focusing on it. I wanted to play like Wilco, I wanted to play like, say, play like John Lennon or something, but I couldn't kind of get into that really at that point. So I, I definitely wanted to, I, I, you know, in my mind, I wanted to sound like those people, but I absolutely didn't. I didn't do music at school, so I had no kind of way in, if you like. Is there and, a um, you particularly admired at the time, though, that you aspire to be like? Yeah, certainly Pete Townsend by then. I was listening to The Who. Uh, obsessively I bought as many of the Who records as I could sort of find really by then I definitely mm. like somebody showed me a couple of Who things I'm a boy which is, which has sort of AE and D at the start that was quite a bit of a breakthrough um, the best one I've done, I mean, still probably my favourite guitar playing on a record is Won't Get Fooled Again I mm. couldn't play like that but one of the older people at school, the older lads at school, knew the chords, which if you take away all the playing, it's, it's like an A, a G, a D, an E, you know. You're cool. And it was kind of like, you know, that was quite a breakthrough, being able to play something that just sounded a bit like it. <laughs> so I won't get fooled again, strangely enough. I play that A chord at the start, just bang. I still play it all the time, just bang. It just seems a good thing to do. And then G, D, won't get fooled again. Such a fantastic record, you know. So, well, let's hear it. Let's hear the who and we'll get for it again.
So um, what was your very first band? Were you a classic sort of in the schoolyard, get together with your mates, perform a band? And did you did it all happen organically or did you sort of audition for someone or put an advert out? What, what was the very first band you were in? Uh, uh, the first people I played with were uh, other people at school. And we, we weren't so much uh, musicians as, as, as instrument owners. You know, it was like the, the person who had the bass, the person who had the drums. There was no, uh, there was no moment where you thought we've got a group kind of thing. You know, not not looking back at it. I mean, I might might have thought at the time, well, that sounds a bit like you know whatever it was we were trying to play, but it didn't really sound very much like it at all. Um, what actually happened to me at that point, I was, will say, is I found there was a guitar teacher living on the same estate as us. We had an insurance man used to come in. We used to pay him like you know whatever the insurance was. I didn't pay him anything. But my dad paid him. And uh, for whatever reason, he said, uh, I, I said something about guitar one day, and he said, oh, you, you must know uh, Tony, who lives around the corner. No. He teaches guitar. Oh, hello. 
So I remember turning up at Tony's house and saying with the words, oh, yeah, you teach guitar. And he, his, his response was brilliant. It was, we try. It's very kind of, I thought, well, like him, that's a, that's a good thing to say. <laughs> so I start at that point, I'd be like kind of 17, 16, 17 now, a bit, a bit older. I started um, actually getting some guitar lessons. And I didn't learn overnight, but I progressed quite quickly. I got a bit of focus then. He was actually a classical guitarist, right? but he was, a, he was a kind of reformed rock and roller who was learning classical guitar and was teaching at school. And the reason I mention is mention him, excuse me, is in uh, uh, sometime, this would be about 1979, he said, have you heard of a group called The Ruts? And I said, yeah, I have actually. They, you know, they just released this record, I think it was just when Babylon's Burning came out. And he said, I went to school with one of them. And he did. In fact, it turned out he knew two of them. He went to school with Paul Fox and he knew Malcolm. This might sound strange, this is 40 years ago, but it was this weird thing where suddenly, you know, the ruts were, were in my guitar playing very early on. So this would be, this would date it as kind of 79, spring 79. So I'd be 17 going on 18. So I'd be a little bit older now, uh, out of school, I suppose. Um, so the, the dreaded factory. But I decided by then, you know, right, I'm going to try and get this guitar thing together. And then, as I say, kind of floundered again, really. I couldn't get any sort of focus. I couldn't find people to play with. Mm. Um, I, wasn't one of, I wasn't the most confident of people and still aren't sometimes quite shy. I wasn't going to um, get the Murphy Maker and find a band. The, the first, probably, I would say, serious band you in was The Price. Yeah, that's right, yeah. And uh, when you released a couple of singles... How did that come about? Was that, was that a local band to you? Was it around the um, area? Yeah, very much so. Um, a little bit after the bit I've just said, uh, I started getting out and about a bit more. So I was going to see a lot of bands, started to meet a few people. As I say, shy, but was meeting a few people. The Bruce bomb dropped, and it really did drop. That was where things had to change. And I had to change myself. I had to, you know, I had to get out and do a few things. I was also in a car accident around that time, which kind of gives you a bit of time to think. Uh, so that kind of made me think about a few things a bit more and what have you. And eventually I got into playing in a local band, uh, which became, very simply, was named The Others. Uh, we were pretty good, actually, so we had a couple of good songs, and that was starting to get somewhere when, as often happens to people, some of the people left and like, well, it's getting a bit serious, so we're off. And that war sort of warped into the price, and I sort of met a few people and, and got that going. And the price, again, took a while to get off the ground, uh, started by playing places like the Clarendon, much yeah, missed Clarendon. Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? We used to play downstairs and saw some great gigs there and played a few, you know. We used to love playing there. Started getting out of the area a little bit and got going. And in them days, you know, no one was going to sign up a group that was playing the sort of music we were playing, which wasn't punk, or, I don't think it was, but it was kind of guitar-y, noisy music you know, at the time. So we started, we, we were able to put out our own records a bit and started to get going a bit on that. And, and that yeah. started get me up the ladder as it were so the price for the first band that really kind of did well let's so we hear a track from the price um i think you, i like this one and i think you you picked this as well it's um so what about love yes yeah. the famous so what about love yes the paul fox produced single but maybe we'll uh talk about that after this let's hear it and then i'll tell you the story behind it if you like yeah. well let's hear it this is the price and so what about love which produced by paul fox which i didn't know which is uh let's ah. hear it
and that was a price and uh, so what about love which um i've just discovered was produced by none other than paul fox and himself yes yeah. paul fox so was this how you first got in contact with um the ruts and got to know them um no <laughs> um so uh, rewind a few years to the punkier times and you, you it sounds a bit strange to say it now but bands were were, were pretty accessible in those days one of the punk thing of the punk thing you'd see the band in the bar or you'd see them in the pub opposite or maybe just meet them somewhere and I got to know Paul kind of a I went up to him uh, at a gig it wasn't a Ruts gig and I'm never sure what gig it was I can never remember it but as I said before I'm, I'm quite a shy person I can be I remember seeing it's Paul Fox right I went over and I, and I kind of blurted out hello Paul my name's Lee because I had a high voice my name's Lee I really like your guitar sound how do you get your guitar sound and he was really friendly, but he couldn't remember the name of the pedal that he used. He said, oh, it's a, you know, a chorus. Oh, um, it's a chorus pedal. It's really good. I'll, I'll find out. It's really good. Uh, and, and I kind of like the fact that he couldn't remember it. It's quite a good thing. He didn't really know what he used. Um, so and I just started, I just kind of got to know him locally, really. I mean, I lived, he lived near us in Muscle a bit. And we stayed in touch, partly from sometimes bumping into him in a local pub or, or a local gig or some such. Um, when the price got going, he had a band uh, that became Choir Militia, they were called. They had a few names going up to that, and they had a single out called Sharpen the Knife, which is really good. And we played, one of a couple of our first gigs was supporting them. He gave us a couple of support gigs, which was brilliant. Um, so I stayed in touch with him, and when the chance came, we, we did our own single, The Price You Pay, uh, with the man with the smile on the other side. And that came out through a local fanzine called So What? which is by a guy called Andy Peart, who now writes for Viva Rock, wrote for Sounds. Mm. Got a chance to another record with another label called Released Emotions, who, again, were a local label that put out um, Red Letter Day, um, The Sect, put out a UK sub-single around the same time. Anyway, we got a chance to do a single with them. And I think he came out in the conversation, and I sort of said to Paul, oh, we're doing the, the record. And he went, oh, great, oh, I wish I would. Uh, and I said, well, why don't you come and, you know, produce it or something, you know, like you do, very naively. And he really jumped at it. He was like, yeah, I'd love to, fantastic. Uh, so that was, that's a lovely memory, really. And, and I think we, we didn't pay him much money for it, but he, he, he was really great. And he, and he actually played with The Price a few times around that time. Wow. Okay. Uh, used to just get up and play a couple of songs. We used to play in a rut with him. probably know Paul was diagnosed with um, lung cancer and they were going to do a last show with him uh, with Henry Rollins singing uh, Rollins came over to rehearse for it and Paul unfortunately wasn't well and I was sitting watching television with my then girlfriend I remember my phone went and it was Dave Ruffin and it's like Lee's Dave Ruffin hello Dave um, and he, he actually said what are you doing tomorrow and it's like well what do you want to do tomorrow well we're rehearsing but Paul's not well you, you can do it can you can you you know stand in for him with I said, what were you, Seggs and Henry Rollins? Oh, okay. So at which point I, I decided to abandon CSI, whatever was on the telly, went upstairs, reviewed, reviewed these songs. They gave me a set list to look at and I 
the next afternoon, I found myself on the way to South London with a guitar. Uh, and we did a rehearsal, which there was a bit of film off somewhere. Yeah, I mean, Rollins was amazing. It was incredible, incredible to meet him. Uh, and yeah, we played, we ran through the set that you would have seen at the uh, Islington show, Paul's last show. I mean, it was, um, I, in fact, there's a report on that. I, I dug out some old pictures I took of that on, on the retro. Wow. Um, oh. It was a f- fantastic, again, sad circumstances, but it was a very moving and, and a great musical celebration, wasn't it? Because you had... It was, yeah, I mean, it was fabulous all night. Yeah, I mean, the, UK Tubbs, Misty and Roots, TV Smith, yes. John Otway, um, Tom Robbins, The Down. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was an extraordinary evening. And the ruts were great, and Paul played wonderfully. I mean, yeah, you know, he, yeah. he really did. I mean, he was absolutely in trouble, but he, he pulled it yeah. out. Paul Fox is, is one of those guitarists, like, to me, like Wilco Johnson, Stuart Adamson of the Skids, yeah. Keith Levine, that came out of punk, who are really unique guitarists and quite unusual. And that, It must have been pretty difficult for you to step into his shoes as such you know because he had such a distinctive sound you know yeah i mean i mean having spent a bit of time with him i, I mean he was he, he, you know he, he was old enough to have seen Jimi hendrix who was a big hero of his like you know he always said he, his favorite gig was uh, led zeppelin at the marquee sort of first zeppelin gig there you know to use a word that dave often uses they were energized by punk they weren't necessarily punks they were a little bit older but they were energized by Paul absolutely got the idea of that, if you will. But his playing in the ruts is remarkable still. It really is extraordinary guitar playing because it is the punk guitarist that's heard Hendrix, isn't it? You know, it's the kind of thing yeah. that's, that, that gives him that, that side to it. He's a great rhythm guitarist. All the best rock and roll guitarists are great rhythm guitarists. Pete Townsend's a brilliant rhythm guitarist. He's a, he's a great lead player, but he's a fabulous rhythm guitarist. Yeah, brilliant. And going back to the Price single, I remember him doing the downstrokes lead, downstrokes, stereo chugging. He used to say stereo chugging, so you record it twice and split it in stereo, so you got double track guitar. And it is the Paul Fox West One sound, you know. Ruts DC, let's say, for want of a better term, started up again. You know, was 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 again wasn't necessarily something that was that was deliberate. The band were off. Um, Dave and Seg started doing some recording together, uh, which became Rhythm Collision Two, the, the dub album that came out. Um, mm. 
which I, they asked me to play on, which was brilliant. I don't play on all of it, but I play on some of it. And somehow, and I'm not exactly sure how, I should check really, the band were offered a live show. They were offered a chance to play at a dub festival in France. And I remember, again, I remember Dave phoning me up and saying, listen, you won't believe this. Yeah, Rusty DC have been offered a gig in France. Would you be interested in playing guitar? And it's like, well, I think I could squeeze that in, Dave. Yeah, you know. The other bit in Blackadder where he says, I want to make it perfectly clear that I will do absolutely anything you say. <laughs> uh, you know, it was a bit like that. I was like, yeah, I can do that one for you. You know, Seamus on keyboards, Seamus Bean, who has played with Paul Weller, but now plays with Iggy Pop, played with all sorts of people. Mollera on vocals from Zion Train, uh, Dave Seggs and myself. We just started to get a rehearsal together for it, and we were all set to go, and the festival got cancelled. Ah! So we were a bit down in the dumps, but Seggs was playing the Alabama 3 at the time. When they heard about this, they said, well, we're doing a tour. Come and do some shows on the tour. So suddenly we had four shows that we prepared for very quickly. And that, they were the first Struts DC shows. So it was very uh, accidental. This was the end of 2011. So that was kind of how it started. Really. Yeah. So was there a song that you particularly liked the, uh, from the Ruts DC uh, back catalogue? Of the Ruts DC material... Uh, Animal Now is an underrated album. Dave and Seggs don't like it as much as they might because obviously it's tied in with the, just after Malcolm's death. But there's some great songs on that. Different View, we've played a few times, which I really like playing. Uh, Mirror Smashed was always a favourite. It was always a favourite song of mine anyway. Uh, we don't play it that often, but Mirror Smashed is great. Wacky timing, uh, great chorus, uh, some, some stereo chugging from Paul, as he would say, <laughs> and, uh, and, a, and a chance to play a crazy guitar solo at the end. <laughs> so I get a chance to play a crazy guitar solo. Yeah, well, let's, let's hear that. Let's hear what's DC and Mirror Smash. Fantastic track, I love it. You know, and, Brilliant, uh, isn't it? So then you were involved in the Rhythm Collision album. Yeah, Rhythm Collision, Volume 2. Volume sounds, two. sounds rather grand, doesn't it? <laughs> we must do Volume 3 one day. When, yeah. we, when, we, when we're allowed to be in a room together again, we'll do Volume 3, I think. <laughs> and then Ruts DC will release this fantastic record, Music Must Destroy. Oh, yes. Had a few special guests, which was a, was a great record. You know, it, uh, oh, yeah, fabulous. Yeah. Okay. Going back yeah. to the, the classic rut sound, wasn't it? You know, and, and now you're fully integrated as part of the band. You know, you're, you're, oh. you're, you're part of the band now. You're, you're a three-piece. And this is a great record because, again, it features Henry Rollins on, on vocals on a, couple, on a couple of tracks or a track or two. The great man, yes. He's on, he's on the title track, which it must destroy. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's an amazing character, Henry Rollins. Uh, yeah. 
uh, everyone should meet Henry Rollins. He's, <laughs> everybody in the world should meet Henry Rollins. He's, a, he's an extraordinary man. Redefines the term force of nature. He, he really yeah. is incredible energy, uh, amazing presence. Um, but he's terrific on that. I mean, he, as, as we as previously discussed, he did a great job at Paul's last show. Yes, and he stayed in touch with the band. He's a massive fan of the group. He's an incredible fan of punk. He's an incredible fan of music. You know, he's a, a second, just extraordinary energy for life. You know, mm-hmm. amazing, amazing man. Great man to spend some time with. So yes, he, he he's on it. There's some other guitar players on the album. Um, I mean, that album came about. I mean, we'd done a live album just previous to that, which was kind of cool because it it kind of took us to where we were then. We were just playing the back catalogue and we were rearranging a few songs. And then new songs started to, to sort of happen, really. Segs brought in Second Hand Child. That was the first one I remember. And he sort of said, yeah, what do you think of this? And I said, well, it's great. And he said, oh, do you reckon it's any good? Yeah, it's fantastic. Now let's, let's, let's work on it. Let's, let's do it, you know. And that found its way into the set. And then we sort of started thinking, well, look, can we do this? You know, can we, can we do an album? But it's a record that I'm very proud of. Uh, it was, you know, Psychic Attack. When that, when that first came out, that single, I remember thinking, yeah. well, great thing. Should we pick a, do you want to pick a track from it that you particularly... A track from, um, from the album? Oh, okay, put me on the spot. Let's have... Um, actually, let, can we have Psychic Attack or do you play that one quite a lot? Because as I said, that was the first one that came out, so that was quite nice. Let's, uh, let's play Psychic Attack. Well, let's hear it. This is a great track from the fantastic album Music Must Destroy and Psychic Attack. Sounds strange, but it was a great moment for me. When we put the video up on a you know sharing site, whatever it was, 
and you could leave and people left comments you know great blah blah and suddenly it said um pete townsend and it said great the ruts are back in black with hats and it was the actual Pete Townsend. I thought it was like one of my mates messing around, yeah. but it was the actual Pete Townsend had put a, a, a thing on it. And I remember thinking, this might sound mad, I was looking at the screen thinking, so he's just watched a film of me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it. I can I can give it all up now. I've seen you play with some good bands, you know, like Stranglers and that. Have you, have you played some sort of gigs with any of your sort of own musical heroes? You must have met some of your, I mean, favourite bands and that along the way and shared a stage with them. I've been lucky enough to do exactly that, yes. Um, well, you mentioned the Stranglers. We've played quite a few shows with the Stranglers now. We'll talk about them in a minute, perhaps. Um, we played with Wilco Johnson. That was uh, that was kind of cool. Uh, brilliant, in fact. In fact, when we played with the Stranglers in Southend, he came to the gig and came in our dressing room looking for us, which was yeah. almost as exciting as Pete Townsend writing about... Uh, Music Must Destroy, that was, that was brilliant. He was great, actually. Was, yeah. was, um, I, well, we played with The Damned, played with Stiff Little Fingers. Again, this is brilliant. These are all people who I've, you know, watched over the years, gone home and learned guitar parts from their records. You know, just brilliant. Um, played with Wayne Kramer, which which was really did mean a lot to me. Uh, played in the band with Wayne Kramer when, when uh, me and Dave were in the band with him and Seg sang a song with us. Uh, oh, right. Yeah, at Coco, The Music Machine. <laughs> um, when the, the, there was a Joe Strummer film, I Need a Dodge, was premiered there with his music, did it? And uh, we were in the band, and Wayne Kramer did some songs with it. So that was terrific to play with Wayne. Uh, very nice fellow again, and, and the loudest guitarist. <laughs> it was so loud on stage. I remember standing by the amplifier thinking, This is ridiculously loud. It is so loud, I'm going to have to go and stand nearer to it because it's fantastic. And it was like you could sort of feel the air moving. It was just magnificent and brilliant player. So that was, yeah. You yeah, seem to have like, a good relationship with the Stranglers, and um, I, I've seen you play with them a couple of times over the years. Yeah. And sad news that Dave Greenfield's just uh, passed away. Uh, that's, uh, that's really bad. Um, do, you, do you? How did you get on with the Stranglers? Did you? Did you sort of have any good, uh, any memorable escapades with them? Yes, we've had quite a few memorable escapades with the Stranglers. Um, the first show we did with them was in Lincoln, and I remember I was. Um, putting on my guitar, guitar, getting my guitar out, cleaning it up and getting it ready. And the tap on my shoulder, I looked up and it was Baz Warren. I was like, on my knee, sort of doing it. And it was Baz Warren saying, hello, hello, Baz. And he says, hello, Lee, I can't do the accent. He's got a fantastic accent. But he said, it's, uh, it's good to meet you, Lee. I thought, oh, you can't know who I am. And he said, no, I've been watching you on YouTube. He said, you and me are going to have a lot in common. <laughs> I thought, yeah, we probably, in our way, we have. And, and he's, he's a lovely fellow. I can't call him the best mate, but he's, he's a friend. You know, he's, uh, The legend that is Jean-Jacques Burnell is brilliant as well. Great humour. There, never, there's a, always a dig in the ribs for every occasion from uh, JJ. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I wouldn't this want to be on the wrong side of him. No, you wouldn't wind him up. I saw the Stranglers in 1977 at Brigham University, and uh, he offered the entire audience out, I think, at one point. <laughs> And no one took him up on it. <laughs> you know, there's there like hundreds of Jim's well, nice, uh, lovely fella. But Dave was, and I, again, don't, didn't know him ever so well, but he was, well, I can tell, a lovely guy, very friendly, always cheerful, um, you know, good smile, great with us, you know, and Strangs were, you know, they are really good with us anyway. But he was, he was smashing Dave and very, very saddened to hear. Very shocked. It was a sudden thing, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. We played with them, we did some European shows before Christmas with them. I saw them, they were in the dressing room in Berlin, the last show. We were all saying goodbye. And I said something like, see you back in Blighty. And so I went, yeah, yeah, big smile, yeah, see you back there. Yeah. I never did. Well, shall we play a track in, in tribute to Dave? Do you want to pick a, 
particular, particular Stranglers track? Yes, well, I mentioned 1977. Uh, let's do a song that was released in 1977, um, Hanging Around. Probably my favourite Stranglers song. They've written some great songs, but yeah, it's got to be Hanging Around. You've also been um, busy helping out Elvin Gibbs, the bass player from the UK Subs, um, with his band The Disobedient Servants. Again, we've played and featured on the blog and Retrosonic podcast, and he's just got a new a new EP out, um, and, and you, um, you sing on it, apparently. Yes, I don't know how this has happened either. <laughs> I cannot tell you how surprised I was when he said, and I'd like you to write a song and sing it which is what he said. Um, no, uh, I mean, Alvin um, met him a couple of years ago, sort of spoke to him here and there over the years, but met him a couple of years ago. And we were in, sounds rather grand, we were in Amsterdam playing at the Rebellion Festival in Amsterdam. And we were in the dressing room and he sort of suddenly said, you got a minute, Lee? I said, yeah, of course. He said, I'm doing a solo album. Would you be interested in playing on it? And I thought, a bit like the Ruts thing. Yeah, I think I could squeeze that in. You know, he said, yeah, just I'll have a different guitarist on each song. I said, yeah, I'd love to do that. Fantastic. When we got back uh, afterwards, he sent me this song over called Polemic, which is on the album. I thought, bit, bit Zeppelin-y, bit Neil Young, you know, I could do that. I'll have a go at that. Anyway, I was uh, coming home from a Ruts rehearsal and I got a message on the phone, can you ring Alvin? And eventually I think he rang me. We, we couldn't get hold of each other. And he said, um, a bit like the Ruts thing, he said, um, are you busy at the moment? I said, well, you know, a few, few, few projects, you know, I'd like to think. He said, right. James Stevenson was going to play on a song on the album called Ghost Train, which is coming out as a single in a couple of weeks' time, but he can't do it. He's in America playing. Could you do it? I said, well, yeah, I guess so. So that was, say, the Monday. On the Thursday, I was recording the guitars to Ghost Train. I had very little time to get it together, but I did that and polemic in one session with Steve Crittle, who a great guitar player, played in The Godfathers for a while. So that came out as the Your Disobedient Servant album that's on there with loads of other loads of other great and good uh, people yeah. like uh, Mick, Mick Rossi is on one of the tracks, isn't he? And yeah. Stevenson's on James Stevenson. Yeah, brilliant record. If that wasn't surprising enough, he then said, do you fancy doing some live shows? You know, Jamie's going to drum, he can play guitar. Steve's going to join for when he can, for the gigs he can do. Yeah. So last year, last June, in fact, we did, you know, a week of shows and we've done a couple of sporadic shows since then, including the Rebellion Festival. And then the chance came up to do a new record, which, is, which has become the History EP, which is just yeah. coming out. June yes. and uh, he said I've got two songs for it I want Jamie to write one I want you to write one that's what he said you, you can write a song and you can sing it <laughs> oh very good singer oh, it doesn't matter he said just sing it oh okay 
That's me told them, you know. So we had a day in uh, Pat Collier's studio, in fact, we had a day and a half in there, and put together four songs, uh, one of which I did indeed write and sing. Bad about you. Um, yeah, well, we've which, um, we've um, featured that in, on the blog, and it's out on Time and Matter Records, which is a great label, yeah, and um, concentrate on mainly on UK subs-related releases. All the artwork on the album and the single has been done by Gay Advert, or Gay Black as she is now. Which fantastic, is isn't it? The artwork's great. Oh, yeah. Pick a track, any track from Elvin Gibbs. Any track from Elvin Gibbs. I shall pick the one that he surprised me with. I shall pick Ghost Train, because I think it's just a really good song. And again, a bit like with the Ruts one, if I wasn't on it, I'd buy it. (laughs) It's a really good song. Fantastic. That was Elvin Gibbs and the Disobedient Servants and Ghost Train. And so, Leon, I, I normally ask people what they've been doing to keep occupied during lockdown. And um, certainly Ruts DC have embraced this um, the, the sort of time you've got and the, the technology. You've been really busy, haven't you? Um, yeah. So after initially not really being sure what to do, um, leading up to the, the lockdown, uh, myself and Segs have been, get, have been getting together on a regular basis to get some new song ideas together for a possible new album. Dave was just starting to get involved with those and suddenly we're not allowed to all be together. So one of the things I've tried to do, this might sound a bit strange, but I thought we're going to be stuck at home. Let's try to learn a few things. One of the things I tried to learn was to use GarageBand, uh, the recording program on the Mac computer. Um, because myself and Segs and Dave can then send each other song ideas. What came out of that was slightly strangely this idea of Ruts TV. We thought, well, we, we could use the, the, the band's Facebook page or the internet profile, whatever you would call it, to sort of put together some ideas. Initially, uh, we because we've got a live album in the can that was going to, we were supposed to be doing an acoustic tour in April, then we're going to go to America of all places in May. We had a live album from last year's tour ready to go. And, of course, that's been a bit snookered. 
Uh, in fact, it's it's not out yet. We wanted it out at the start of June. We decided we just put it out anyway, if you will. We we initially thought of Ruts TV. We could maybe talk about that or play a couple of tracks from it, things like that, and do you know an advert for it or something. But this started to grow into the idea that we could put together some short programs, and this is exactly what we've been doing. Some of it's used old footage. We've actually started to put some new footage together for it. Um, we did a, a version of Kill the Pain, uh, which is on Music Must Destroy. We did that for the Vigla Rock uh, online festival, Vigla Rock Down. But also, crucially, we want to do new songs as well. So there's going to be, hopefully, some new songs starting to come out of this. Uh, we've been sending each other ideas back and forwards. So um, we've been keeping fairly busy in that respect. And people can see that on your Facebook page, can they? Or have you got a YouTube channel? Yeah, Ruts, the Ruts, Facebook, Ruts DC Facebook page. We haven't got a YouTube channel together as I talk, but I think that's coming together. And we've got a website, which is on and things like that. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's quite exciting. Um, and we're trying to, you know, it's partly to keep ourselves doing things and partly to keep a bit of profile up. As I say, we've got this 40 years of the crack, a new live album coming out. And you're also a blogger yourself. Um, tell us about your your blog. My blogging, my blogging. Um, yes, I mean, as somebody who, you know, I, I was never particularly computer literate, I decided about how many years ago it was I should learn to use a computer a bit better. And somebody mentioned something called a blog, and I thought, well, that sounds a bit mad. I looked at a couple of things that people were doing, and I thought it was a chance to be become a bit more computer savvy and to, 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 to learn how to, things like cutting and pasting, I had no idea what that was, you know, so, you know, I'd be able to learn that. But also, of course, it's a chance to blast on about it yourself, which all bad, lonely, middle-aged mummies, boys like me love to be able to do, as you can tell, by the way, I'm rambling on in this. So, um, yeah, it, was a, it became a kind of gig diary, a um, little bit of uh, ranting and raving sometimes, and just a chance to do things. So, yeah, I did it, which I impulsively named Lee's Mad World of Guitars. It's still got that name. If anyone searches for that, you'll find me, which I must rename it, really, because it's not particularly mad, and it's not all about guitars. Well, you know, if you um, what we'll do, we'll put a special feature on the blog um, at www.retromanblog.com, and I'll do a little cool. feature. I'll put all the links to what we've talked about, where you can order the Ruts albums, where you can get... Oh, great. And all the, obviously a link to Lee's Mad World of Guitars. So check out the blog. And it's been really entertaining listening to you, Lee. Thank you for your time. Oh, uh, well, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Although we're only up the road from each other. I know we were planning to meet up um, to do this for a long while, but uh, it's nice to sort of <laughs> finally get in contact and and, uh, and and get this podcast out. And um, I yeah, uh, appreciate it. So what have you been um, listening to? Give us a track to play out on, something that you've been um, listening to. Um, yeah, I mean, again, chance to, to, to go through some old albums that I haven't played for a while. Um, I was just uh, some old Who records and that I've been playing, Field Goods and that, that I listened to anyway. Bob Dylan, I bought Bob Dylan box sets just before lockdown. I bought the mono albums. I've been playing that quite a lot. I like Bob Dylan. Um, Iggy Pop, I think, I was playing. Playing some Sparks this morning. You forget how good Sparks are, don't you? They're, they're mad as hell, aren't they? Sparks, brilliant. Um, yeah, so finger on the pulse I've not played anything from this century but I've been listening to music from <laughs> um, a couple of old punky compilations all sorts of things really I, I, um, Flaming Groovies I've listened to the Flaming Groovies bit as well Teenage Head I was playing I think the other day I love the Flaming Groovies I was thinking they're a bit of a missing link so they get yeah. out well let's pick a track then to play out on and uh, so once again Lee Lee Hegarty Ruts DC um, thank you so much and let's uh, hear your track to play us out on please um well, uh, all right, Flaming Groovies. Uh, let's 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 play Shake Some Action, one of the best records ever made. And I, I regularly blub like a girly listening to this in, in, in the uh, 
in the middle of a dark night. So I put this on sometimes. And stuff. I still think it's one of, the, one of the sort of perfect records. So yeah, shake some action by the Flaming Groovies. Right. Well, thanks very much, Lee. Um, appreciate that. Let's uh, play um, Flaming Groovies. Cheers, all the best. Thank you, Steve. Cheers. Cheers.